Mercy Hill family. It's so good to be here. I, I will say that I'm very humbled uh, to be able to, to preach from God's Word today. Um, I will say that it is much more uh, nerve-wracking to preach to an empty room than to thousands of people, but I know you guys are at home watching, uh, so it is great to have you join us. Uh, I know we've had some technology problems, so that means one of two things, either everything's going against us because it's going to be a really great message, or it's going to be really bad, and I hope that's not the later, right? So the past few weeks, uh, we have been on the road to Jerusalem with Jesus, uh, and so we've been following him as he's heading to the cross, um, and so this is been an interesting journey as we are walking alongside, and Luke does such a, a great job of drawing this picture. Remember, in Luke, he is writing Theophilus, uh, his friend and a Roman official, so that he would know that all the things that has been said about Jesus Christ is true. And so he's painting this picture of who Jesus is and what he has done, and how he has come to be our Savior. So last Sunday, we saw where Jesus had healed the blind beggar. And he's on the road to Jericho, getting ready to, to head through there. And at the roadside, or along the roadside, uh, the beggar cries out to, to Jesus and Jesus heals him. Today's story is a little bit different, but very similar in that people are gathering to see Jesus as he's coming. People are gathering along the roadside. They want to see who this Jesus of Nazareth is, right? He's, his, uh, whatever, the, the stories have kind of gone in front of him, and people are interested to see who this person is. And so that's where we'll pick up today. But before we read that verse, let me pray one more time, and then we'll dive into Luke 19, 1 through 10. So pray with me. Father, we know in these um, chaotic times that you are still on your throne. It is not a surprise to you. You were not caught off guard uh, that today we would be here virtually together as a family. Uh, Lord, it is part of your plan. We know that. Lord, we also know that sometimes this distance does make the heart grow fonder. But Lord, let us have our hearts just grow to love and just crave you more. And especially in these times, let us look to you for our comfort and peace knowing that you are in control of our situations, that you are in control of what's going on, and we find comfort in that. Lord, as we dive into your word today, speak truth to our hearts, move us to the action that you would have us take. Lord, we know that it is all in your divine providence. So be with us now as we look at your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so before I read this passage, I wanted to issue a warning to all of our grown-up in church family, okay? Today we're going to jump into the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man. And it's going to be very easy for some of us who grew up in church to just say, I know that story, right? And I remember that song and reducing it to just that Sunday school moment. But this story is so much bigger than that song. It's so much more important because in these 10 verses, it outlines the gospel and it also outlines what our response to salvation should be. And lastly, it capitalizes that Jesus is seeking the lost. So Christ is here seeking the lost. And so before I jump in, I just want you to mentally take that song, put it aside for now, and listen as we read from his word. So Luke 19, 1 through 10. He, who is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw that, they all grumbled. He has gone in to the, be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone by anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So what's interesting is, and I think what we have to really understand is Luke mentions tax collectors six times in his gospel. Six times Luke points out the people who are most hated by their own people. See, tax collectors, they lived in between two worlds basically. So when Rome would go and conquer a nation, what they did, which was pretty smart, is they would befriend people who would, on their behalf, rule the people that they've conquered, and then also collect taxes, right? And so these tax collectors, what they did was they were servants of the emperor, Rome, but yet they were Jewish, and a lot of times, 
what they did to, to keep the livelihood of their own families, they were pretty crooked. So they would collect extra taxes, they would keep a little for themselves, and they would pass the rest on to the empire. And so the Jews hated the tax collectors, absolutely despised them, and for good reason, because they had betrayed their own nation. And what we see here is, in verse 2, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. So not only was he a tax collector, he was kind of like the mob boss, right? So he was overseeing all the taxes that were being collected there in Jericho. And why Luke uses these men is because it is completely countercultural for them to want to know Jesus. It is a surprise that Jesus would work in their hearts because we know what they treasure. They treasure money. They treasure the power in which they have attained, given to them by the Roman Empire. And so Luke uses these examples to show how we can change from the worst of worst from the least, from the people that are the sinners and the outcasts, the ones that their own nation they have betrayed. And so as we read on about this chief tax collector, we find out a little bit more about him. So he wanted to see who this Jesus was. Like I had said earlier, people are starting to gather around. They want to know who's this guy who is doing all these miracles and who is, who is preaching about the kingdom coming. And so he was trying to get a look, right? But what we find is he's got a little bit of a Napoleon thing, right? So imagine having all the power and money. He was rich and he was an overseer of all the tax collectors. But in this moment, he could not catch a glimpse because of all the other people that were there. Now, if you can imagine, these are probably beggars, right? These are the poor that are lying in the streets. As we just saw in the verses earlier, the blind beggar got a front row seat on the, on the road, right, to Jericho. And so here's this guy with all his, and I could just imagine him here with his, you know, Gucci clothes on and his, his nice leather shoes, and he can't get a front row seat, but what does he do? He runs forward to climb a tree. Now, I heard a great example. It would be kind of like, uh, you know, Warren Buffett running ahead and climbing, climbing a tree to see like Justin Bieber in a parade or something, right? But this is kind of what you're thinking, is that he is warning, he's caught up in the celebrity of who Jesus is, and he's this rich man, and he is running forward to climb a tree just so he could get a glimpse of this Jesus, right? So he climbs the sycamore tree. And I will tell you, this, it, 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 took, me a, it took me a long time to pare the sermon down because at every moment, like the sycamore tree, we see the sycamore tree in Psalms. We see it in Isaiah, the, the importance of that to the Jewish nation. But at every point, it is rich, and we could dive deeper and deeper, the significance of this. But know just the significance of what happens next. So he climbs up this tree, 
because Jesus was ready to pass that way. And then Jesus came to the place. Came to the place. Jesus knew where he was going. He knew that Zacchaeus was going to be in that tree. He came to Zacchaeus where Zacchaeus was. We have to understand that Jesus is coming for us. Sometimes we think we're chasing after Jesus, but he is not surprised in where we are in our sin. He is not surprised where we are in our addiction or in our idolatry. Jesus knows the exact place we are. And so Jesus meets him where he's at. And he looks up to him and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I must stay at your house today. He didn't say, can I stay at your house today? I don't think Zacchaeus, being rich, was running a, a bed and breakfast on the side. So he said, I must stay with you today. Now, also knowing when someone would stay, traditionally back then, that wasn't just for dinner. Like Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus, all, my, all these disciples and I, we're coming and we're going to stay a couple nights at your house, right? This is actually uh, Jesus saying that we're committing to being with you for a time period. So know that in we, when we're thinking about this verse, this is not just a dinner arrangement. This is a Jesus coming to Zacchaeus' house and living with him for a few days, getting to know his family getting to know him, and for Zacchaeus to get to know Jesus. And so this time was appointed by the Lord. So we see Zacchaeus' response. He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He was excited. He was excited that Jesus noticed him. Like, how did he notice me up in a tree? How did Jesus point me out and notice he knows my name? I mean, just imagine that. Someone walked up to you on the street and said, Hey, Perry, I'm staying at your house tonight. I'd be a little bit blown away. Perry's not a normal name, right? Um, I don't know if Zacchaeus was on the top list of names in that time frame. But he knew his name and called him out. And his response was joyfully. And he received him. And what I love next is in seven, and they saw it, and they all grumbled. Now, that's not the first time we've heard they all grumbled, right? If you guys want to turn with me to Luke 15, 2. And in Luke 15, 2, the parable of the lost sheep well, I'll say one and two, and now, or now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So if you can imagine, those who are grumbling in the crowd are the same who grumbled in 15.2. It's the Pharisees. It's the people in the church. It's the ones who look and say, well, why, is, why are they messing with those people? They're not dressed up. They're not 
they don't have the right clothes on or drive the, the right car or they're not holy or righteous enough. They're sinners, right? And that was the big fight that Jesus had with, with the Pharisees all along was they didn't understand why would he talk to the sinners, those who were unclean, the lepers. Why would he waste his time on them? But Jesus knew that's what he came for. He came to save the lost. And so they grumbled. So he had gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about the reaction between the sinner, the, the, the Pharisee who was saying, oh, please, thank you, God, that I'm not like this man. And you, the, the man was in the corner beating himself, saying, God, forgive me, for I'm a sinner. Christ knows our heart. Christ knows where we're, we're at. So he goes on, Jesus goes with Zacchaeus and stays in his house. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. Now what's interesting about this is we know at this time, Zacchaeus addresses Christ as Lord. Right? So Zacchaeus has come to the knowledge that Jesus Christ is our Lord. If we look just a few, few uh, chapters earlier, or chapter early, when Jesus was foretelling his death in chapter 18, uh, 31 through 34, his disciples are still struggling with that, right? They're still having, if you look at, at 34, or 18, 33, and 34, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise, but they, meaning the disciples, understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. And so here we have Zacchaeus, the sinner, this chief tax collector who sees Christ, sees God as he is. And then his response to that is he gave half his goods away to the poor. And the rest of it he gave, and if he defrauded anyone, he restored it fourfold. Now what's interesting about that fourfold is that is rooted in the tradition of the Jewish people in, in Exodus on restoring someone to what is rightfully theirs. We know Zacchaeus was a, a scoundrel, and so he defrauded many. So what that meant is if he took an ox from a family, he gave that ox four plus one, five oxes back. Fourfold, he repaid his debt and restored them. So not only did he give half of his wealth to the poor, he restored the ones that he had defrauded. So he reconciled relationships that he had broken with those that he had hurt. What's so great about this contrast, too, is that in 1818, when we talk about the story of the rich young ruler... What was his response to God when Christ said to him, you know, go and sell all your things and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. That's 1822. 
And then 1823, the rich young ruler said, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. So we have two pictures here. We have the rich young ruler in 18, and then we have Zacchaeus. Now, what's interesting about this as well is that the rich young ruler said, hey, I'm good. I've been following all the rules. I'm holy. I'm righteous. Certainly, I have a place in heaven. And when Jesus says, sell all your things, give it to the poor, he goes away sad. Oh, nope. Right? So what did he really love? Zacchaeus, Jesus doesn't even say anything to him. Jesus, or Zacchaeus, out of his love for Christ, says, Lord, I sold half my things. I'm reconciling my relationships. Jesus didn't even tell him to do that. It was an outpouring to Christ. Because he knew that Jesus loved him so much that he came and chose to stay with him and knew him as his Lord and Savior, that his reaction was, I love you so much, this is what I'm doing, right? And that's really, I mean, shameless plug, Mark 12, 30 and 31, what I love so much about that verse, and it appears in Matthew and it appears in Luke. But in Mark 12, if you guys will turn to me, with me to that. Mark 12, 30 and 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And second is this. You should love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandments greater than these. But what I love about what Mark does here is in Matthew, it doesn't mention strength. In Matthew, it just says, love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then in Luke, when it mentions it, in Luke, it says, love God with all your mind and with all your heart and with all your strength but in mark we see all four of those your heart your soul your mind your strength your strength being what you do right it's our response it's not hey i just love god with all my heart right it's I love God with all my heart, which causes me then to do something. Like I think about those in my life that I love so much, and I do things out of love. Like I don't clean the house because I enjoy it. I don't really like it that much. But I know that shows love to my wife. If I do the laundry and she didn't ask me to do it, right? It's an outpouring of love. It's a getting a gift for your kids when they're not expecting it. It's because I love them, right? So if we think about the love, the earthly love we have for our family and our friends, what more love should we be pouring out for someone who died for us, right? Who actually hung on a cross for our eternal salvation. 
To have that type of love is amazing. And what's interesting, in some cultures, they even emphasize, like if someone dies for you in the samurai culture, if someone puts their life up for you, you're indebted to them for your entire life, to their family. And so that action is so important. So Zacchaeus gets it here. Zacchaeus understands that his love has driven him to an action that also reflects Christ's love. Because I can just imagine you're sitting there as someone who Zacchaeus has taken your ox and he shows up with five. Like, whoa, what's going on here? I don't think Rome has a tax refund time, right? I don't think this is a, a refund. I didn't overpay. And Zacchaeus is going to tell a story of a man named Jesus, right? A man named Jesus who stayed at his house, and that's why he's coming and repaying them fourfold and reconciling their relationship. But then this is what's beautiful. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Since we, he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now what I, what I want to note in here is this has nothing to do with what Zacchaeus did. But it was the grace and the mercy of Jesus who saved Zacchaeus. See, Jesus is saying here that it was by grace that your faith has saved you. Your repentance for your wrongdoing, salvation has come to this house. That's the gospel wrapped up right there, right? It's the gospel. Christ came to him where he was, and Zacchaeus responded with faith, but it was through Christ's grace that he had that faith to respond. And what's interesting about Jesus pointing out here that today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham, we see in Romans 4, Paul writes on that whole idea of the, the nation of Israel and the Gentiles. Jesus didn't just come to save his chosen people. He came to save the world. But we also know that so many of his own people rejected him. And that's why Jesus pointed this out. That this man, being of the nation of Israel, has found faith, much like his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Abraham. It was through his faith in the grace that he was saved. Zacchaeus does that same thing here. So... That gives us a few things to think about. And it really boils down to, I think, kind of two points. And I've broken it down to, as believers, what's this call us to? And if you're not a believer, what this calls you to? And so first is, as a believer, I think of this as a cross, Right? got a great illustration back here that cross so first our interaction to god right 
That's that vertical. So Jesus come, had come to that point and called Zacchaeus down. That's that point. There's a reason you're sitting here or you're on webcast today or you're in front of your computer. Jesus has you at that point. It's that interaction, right? But this interaction causes this vertical interaction, right? So Jesus calls Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, right, joyfully, joyfully comes down. Joyfully gives of his wealth to the poor. Joyfully reconciles those relations. So as a Christian, I need to start thinking, do I love God with my mind, my body, my soul, and my strength? Is my relationship vertically visible horizontally? Right? Do those people that you work with say, man, that guy's a little different? You know? There's something, something going on there. Are those people you come to across in the street, they think, man, why is that guy smiling all the time? What, what's, what's he happy about? Why is he not worried about giving his time or his resources? What is it about them? So is our mind, our body, our soul, and strength, are we loving God in that way? Because when God says, and love your neighbor as yourself, that's what he's talking about is that vertical, right? If you love God the way he loves us, it's going to cause you to love his creation, our neighbors, in the way we love ourselves. So sometimes we have to remember to figure out how to love ourselves the way God loves us. And then we can love our neighbors like ourselves. So as a believer, I ask that you reflect today. Is, has my experience with Christ caused a reaction, an action on my part? Can I look at Zacchaeus and say, man, he's doing something, right? Again, just as a reminder, so he comes pulling up to a house with five oxes. I mean, that... That family is going to be awestruck. And Christ didn't even ask him or tell him to do that. It was from his love for God. His responses pours out of him. And as believers, that's how it should be. Our response should pour out. Just as my love for my wife or my children pours out, it's in that same way. And if you're a non-believer... What this story is pointing out to you is that Jesus is calling you out of the tree. Today, Jesus is calling you out of the tree. So have you had that experience yet? If not, he's saying, I must stay at your house. Christ is calling you by name and saying, I must stay at your house. I want to come into your heart and I want to take on my throne. And I want to live there. And so he's here today, now, in the position you're in. It could be in your addiction. It could be in your idolatry. It could be, I mean, we know that in this chaos, we've seen it. The one thing I was talking to some friends, that the TP, uh, whatever, conquering TP 2020, 
has only shown our selfishness as man. It has shown our, our sin. We're hoarding up items in Kroger's. And I, I saw a, a video that's gone viral nationally. Someone was trying in Kentucky to buy 23 cases of Mountain Dew. I mean, 23 cases of Mountain Dew. Like, what? But that shows the sin of man, right? We, we, we have this, this focus on material, and we want to hoard it. We want to have it all to ourselves without a second thought of our neighbor, not a second thought of, you know, my neighbor down the road here, the elderly person, someone who can't get out their housebound, but I'm going to go buy up 20 cases of toilet paper? I mean, I don't know. There's going to be a lot of TP houses at the end of this, I'm afraid. So, uh, but that just is so apparent of our sinfulness nature. Our sinful nature is our reaction. As believers, if we're doing that, stop. If you're a non-believer, Jesus is calling you now. He wants to come stay at your house. He wants to take on the throne of your heart. He's coming to where you're at in our sin. So let us pray and we'll move to the next part of our worship together. Father.